Well, hello, everyone. This is JB with Not By Works Ministries. Thanks for joining us for the program today. We've got a very special guest that I'm going to be introducing in uh, just a moment, and I know you'll be really delighted to meet her and hear what God's doing in her life as we talk today about preparedness. And, you know, it's something that we talk frequently about at Not By Works Ministries. I've had the privilege through the years to speak at a number of uh, different preparedness uh, groups and truth movements and Tea Party movements and things like that. And uh, But uh, our guest today is really an expert in that area and has really spent the time uh, researching that. And uh, so I'm delighted to bring her on here in just a few moments. But I want to begin by reminding you of a couple of ministry items here related to NBW Ministries. So first of all, tonight, uh, of course, it's Wednesday, January the 25th, and so tonight we will have our live stream from Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia, Colorado. If you're in the Denver area, I encourage you to come out as we finish up our series tonight on the greatness of God. It'll be our eighth and final installment in that series. That's six o'clock mountain time, again, at Plum Creek Chapel. But if you're not in the Denver metro area, I encourage you to live stream uh, the event tonight. Uh, you can tune in at six o'clock mountain. Just go to notbyworks.org and click the live stream uh, button. And then starting next week on Tuesday, January 31st, we're beginning a new program I'm so excited about. I've been really working on it and thinking about it and planning for it for several weeks now, a couple of months, in fact. And that's going to be our Tuesday night prophecy night sponsored by NBW Ministries. Uh, Tuesday nights at six o'clock. Just mark your calendars, plan on tuning in by live stream as we will discuss all things prophecy. It's going to be a little bit different format than what we've been doing on Wednesday nights. Uh, we will have an hour and a half. Uh, so we'll have a good hour of teaching followed by some Q&A. We're also going to open up each Tuesday night with a short segment of music and worship just to kind of set the tone and uh, give praise to our Lord for all that he's doing in this world. And I'm going to be focusing during Prophecy Nights on a theme that I'm calling The Time Is Now, Why Bible Prophecy Matters Now More Than Ever. And I've got so, so far 15 broad categories uh, where I believe the stage is being set uh, for the soon coming of our Lord. And so we're just going to tackle those one at a time. It may take multiple weeks to get through each one. I don't know. We don't have a timetable. Somebody asked me Sunday at Plum Creek, how long is the Prophecy Night series on Tuesdays going to last? And I said, until Jesus comes. And then I followed that up with, which is hopefully about a week but or less. But uh, seriously, we're going to go as long as we need to. It's just going to be our focus uh, in these great last days of deception. We're going to dedicate Tuesday nights to Prophecy Night. So plan on starting that next Tuesday, January the 31st, and uh, every Tuesday thereafter. Unless you hear differently, there will be some weeks where I'll be on the road speaking at conferences, and we won't be able to have a Prophecy Night on those weeks. But uh, just mark your calendars for Tuesday nights, 6 o'clock Mountain Time uh, at uh, Plum Creek Chapel or online via live stream at notbyworks.org for Prophecy Night. I also want to remind you, speaking of conferences, uh, if you go to our website, you can click the highlight carousel there and scroll through and you'll see several upcoming events. It just so happens I'll be in Orlando twice in February and March, uh, privileged to speak at uh, a conference hosted by Liberty Baptist Church in Claremont, Florida on uh, the February the 18th and 19th. I'll be speaking seven times on what is this world coming to. And then uh, shortly thereafter, a couple weeks later, I'll be at the big Orlando Prophecy Summit sponsored by Prophecy Watchers. Really excited about that. Planning to speak twice there. I'll have two topics. In fact, I was working on one of those a little bit yesterday, really motivated to get those things uh, put together and, 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 and really share what the Lord's put on my heart. So the two topics that I'll be speaking at in March at the Orlando Prophecy Summit are Bloodlust, Exposing the Luciferian Depopulation Agenda, and secondly, the totalitarian tiptoe, the Luciferian plan for full spectrum global control. So you can go to our website to find out more about that. You can register for each of those conferences. The first one in Claremont is free, but it does require registration. The second one at the uh, Florida Hotel uh, connected to the Florida Mall is a much larger conference. There are 15 prophecy speakers. I'm just one of the 15. I'll be speaking twice. And uh, that one, there is a cost for it, but you can register online either to come in person, which I highly recommend if you've got the time and the ability, uh, make a road trip and go out to Florida, especially if you're in the, the Southeast or anywhere in the Florida area. Uh, but you can also pay to live stream that one. The conference itself is having it uh, professionally live streamed. So you can learn more about those events at notbyworks.org. While you're there, be sure and sign up 
uh, for our newsletter. Our audience is growing, and we really appreciate you guys signing up for that because it allows you to stay in touch. We send you uh, typically one at most two emails a week. Anytime there's something new that we posted, a new video, a new podcast, a new article, a new event that's on the calendar, and it's just a good way to stay in touch with NBW Ministries. So we appreciate that. Well, uh, today uh, we're going to be talking about a key principle in Scripture, preparedness. Now, we do talk about this often in passing in the in the midst of our discussion of uh, the end times. Uh, keep in mind that at Not By Works, our key passion, our core value, if you will, is the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel, uh, and we promote that while providing commentary and insights on current events through the lens of Scripture. And so uh, we cover a wide gamut of theological and cultural topics, uh, but uh, underlying it all is a key theme here of uh, the urgency of the hour and the soon coming of our Lord. So when we talk about preparedness, uh, there's a key passage in Scripture that I think a lot of people are becoming more and more aware of as more and more Bible teachers are talking about it, and that's Proverbs 22, verse 3. Proverbs 22, verse 3. In the New King James, which is my uh, the version I generally use when I teach and preach, it says, a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Now, that's uh, sort of the King James-type language. We need to understand a couple of key words there. First of all, the word evil in the Old Testament isn't a moral sense in terms of sinful and non-sinful or bad or good. It's, it, it refers to trouble, difficulty, uh, you know, trials and tribula tribulations, uh, dangerous things. And so uh, a, a more modern English translation translates it, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. That's the idea behind the Hebrew word punished. So again, we're not talking about moral issues here. We're talking about practical issues of life. And when you see trouble coming, you should get ready for it. It's a general uh, principle. If you're uh, walking along a train track and you hear a whistle and look up and see uh, coming behind you uh, very rapidly a locomotive pulling a long train, what are you going to do? You're going to jump off the track. Of course, that makes logical sense. One of the paraphrases of Proverbs 22.3 reads like this, a prudent person sees trouble coming and ducks. A simpleton walks in blindly and is clobbered. Another paraphrase says, a prudent man foresees the difficulties ahead and prepares for them. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Well, I hope that doesn't describe you. I hope you're not blindly uh, moving forward with your head in the sand, ignoring all of the clear signs of the times. Jesus mentioned in Matthew 16, uh, when he was rebuking the first century unbelieving Jewish leaders uh, for their lack of attentiveness to the fact that prophecy was being fulfilled before their very eyes, he said, you know, you, you know how to look at the sky and tell the weather, but you don't know how to discern the signs of the times. And we don't want to make that same mistake today in the church. And so we, uh, we really believe in getting as much knowledge as we can. Uh, we don't have a you know, any special insight or crystal ball. We're not here to set dates or make predictions or pass ourselves off as some kind of uh, clairvoyance, but we do know what the Bible says. And the Bible says that as the closer we get to the return of the Lord, we're going to see the setting of the stage. And so we want to, as Proverbs 13, 16 says, we want to act with knowledge. We want to gain as much information as we can to prepare ourselves uh, for what lies ahead. Now, we do see a, an example, lots of examples, in fact, in Scripture of the principle of preparedness, but one of the most famous ones comes from uh, the story of Joseph uh, back in the land of Egypt. Uh, if you uh, remember, in Genesis chapter 41, uh, Pharaoh had had a dream. Joseph interpreted the dream and explained the dream, and he says, look, there's going to be some good years and some bad years, and you better get ready. And listen to what God's Word says in Genesis 41, beginning in verse 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. In other words, put some people in charge to go store up and collect some produce during the good times. And then he says, and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine 
which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. Well, I think that's just a very good illustration of the principle of preparedness that Proverbs talks about uh, in action. And so uh, we're not suggesting by any stretch that uh, preparedness is an indication of a lack of faith or is somehow in opposition to the need to trust God. Uh, we are to walk by faith in everything we do as believers. We are saved by faith, and we walk by faith. That's what the Christian life is all about. Uh, and yet there are obvious practical things that we do, even while trusting God, because God has given us a brain, he's given us information, and, and so we, we take normal uh, steps. It would be impugning upon the grace and goodness of God to sit back and do nothing and just say, well, God's going to save me, when in fact he's given us resources, tools, information uh, to prepare. So preparedness and faith go hand in hand. They are not opposite. Sometimes, again, people that are uh, really not uh, coming from a, an accurate biblical perspective, they will dismiss uh, the teaching uh, like what you get through NBW Ministries on preparedness, and they will say, "Oh, that's that's crazy." You know, they're they're just lack they just lack faith. I, I'm I'm not like that. I just trust God. Well, they're not mutually exclusive. You can trust God, and we certainly hope you are, uh, and you can also prepare. At the end of the day, though, uh, you can't rely on your own preparedness to cover everything. Ultimately, God's in control. Uh, no matter what comes our way, no matter what trials and tribulations come our way, we're going to trust him in the midst of it. Um, but part of part of being prepared is taking wise action, as Proverbs says. Again, uh, the prudent person sees trouble coming and prepares for it. So today on the program, I've uh, I've got a, a great friend that I've just known for a couple of years now, but really delighted that the Lord allowed our uh, paths to cross. Her name is Maggie Witherby, and she's the founder and uh, kind of the leader of the Elbert County Stands Up group in Colorado, not far from where our Not By Works offices are. And uh, she has uh, really been a delight to work with. We've had the opportunity to do several events together. And uh, she just has a real heart for the reality of what's going on in this world. She's awake. And I'm going to uh, introduce her now and ask her to begin by just kind of sharing a little bit about her testimony, about what, what it was that first caused her to wake up to the reality of the Luciferian conspiracy and the fact that things are not always as they appear. So Maggie, thanks so much for being with us on the program today. It's a delight to have you. And uh, tell us a little bit more about your background. Well, thanks, JB. It's a pleasure to be here. Really appreciate the opportunity. My background is sort of similar to yours. We started our, uh, when I say we, my husband and I, our awakening process way back in 2007. And um, I had been awake for a long, or politically involved, I should say, for a long time since, uh, and I'll, I'm gonna tell you this and it'll give away my age and that's perfectly okay because my background is framed by being a senior in high school in 1963 when the assassination of JFK took place. And that was a pivotal event for our generation I, and that was, we were seniors in high school. When we were seniors in college, when we finished our college year in 1968, we had the assassination of RFK. So politics has been a part of my life and we've been a part, my family was involved uh, growing up very awake and aware. So coming forward, and I'm gonna skip a lot of the in-between there. I have worked in the political arena, running a, a congressional district office, working for congressmen, doing congressional campaigns. And we'll just skip by all that and we'll get up to 2007. In 2007, we had the introduction of Barack Obama on the horizon. And at the time I said, you know, this is, he's a really interesting person, but this person is not gonna go anywhere. Well, we know the rest of the story, right? And at that point in time, I said, I don't believe that this person could have been elected by the American people. It just didn't make sense to me. A lot of things about that election and how it proceeded did not make sense. And at that point, my husband and I got very serious about our investigation of what was going on in this world. And that's where it started. And we started investigating. 
reading, uh, going online, checking things out. Uh, it was, and once you start doing that, you can't stop. <laughs> the information out there is plentiful. It is all out there. Even though we might not have known it was there, it is all there. Yeah, let, let me interject for just a second, uh, just because, uh, it, you know, I don't want to pass over too quickly what you what you just explained. It, it's fascinating to me. And one of the things that I think really I value about your expertise is that you've been there. You know, you were heavily involved in the political process. You were, you know, kind of invested in the right left paradigm. And uh, you mentioned that, you know, our journeys were were similar. And that's true. We both kind of woke up around 2007. Uh, and uh, my background also uh, was not nearly as involved as you, but I had very been very involved in politics as well. I have a lot of family members that are in full-time uh, political arena. I had an aunt that worked for eight years as uh, Ronald Reagan's appointment secretary right outside the Oval Office. I have another uncle who uh, was... Uh, in uh, the military, worked in the Pentagon. I have another, uh, my aunt after Reagan went to work for Jack Kemp at HUD. So we've we've had some inside connections and I've through my high school and college years had the opportunity to, to work, for example, when Kemp was running for the Republican nomination. I worked with his advanced team in Houston where they hosted a Republican nominee uh, uh, debate. And I was right there on the front row with that. And so, but once you wake up, you realize this, and you for you it was the Obama uh, debacle. You realize that we don't have elections; we have selections, and there has to be a higher sort of hidden hand, if you will, pulling the strings, making things happen. And uh, and so, yeah, it's really it's really fascinating, uh, you know, for our listeners that don't know my story. If you read the preface to Volume One of Spirit of the Antichrist, I kind of tell you how my awakening occurred. And when we use the term awakening, that may be a new term for some people, but in the conspiracy world, it's basically a term that refers to what was it that caused you to to recognize the reality of the world as it really exists. And, and, to, and for us as Bible-teaching Christians, Bible-believing Christians, that means the moment when we began to realize there is a cosmic battle taking place in the unseen realm between Satan and God, and Satan is conspiring with human accomplices uh, who call themselves the Luciferians uh, to try to accomplish his goal of taking over the world. And so almost nothing uh, as is as you know it appears, and certainly that's true in the political arena, notwithstanding the fact that many well-intentioned, sincere believers, and, and Maggie, you and I have talked about this before, still really uh, hold on to the hope of you know sort of turning things around through the ballot box. Um, I respect that. I admire that. I admire that optimism. But when you understand what's really going on with the digital vote tabulation machines and with the Luciferian elite, and how they like to control things, it really is uh, tells a different story. So anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just want to make sure that uh, kind of our listeners see that that background of yours and and, re and recognize the credibility that it gives you. Well, I spent uh, I'm going to say 55 years in the political arena, uh, both involved directly or indirectly, and what I witnessed was a continual slide downhill, and I was working in the Republican side of that arena. But what I witnessed was the Republicans continuously losing on every important issue that we faced. They, and we see the slide, let's go back to the early 1960s and look at our country as it was then and as it is now. That's what's happened as a result of our political process. That's where our political leaders both on the Democrat side and the Republican side have, have left us. This is what we're dealing with the results of right now. Um, another point uh, in the awakening process for many people is 9-11. Mm -hmm. I want to probably pursue that in great detail, but I, when you understand that three buildings fell down in New York that day, and you understand that they didn't fall down according to the laws of physics, then that's a great awakening point right there. Yeah, you know, it's funny. That still is the, the whole 9-11 uh, 
uh, conspiracy. And there's no question it was a conspiracy, by the way. Even the official narrative is a conspiracy. Uh, the official conspiracy is that 19 millennials wearing turbans and red ha handkerchiefs with armed with plastic utensils were able to bring down the mightiest military in the world on a bright sunny day uh, when they brought down three high-rise buildings who, that fell you know, perfectly symmetrically into their own footprint at fee free fall sp speed after they flew planes into two of them. Uh, so, uh, and by the way, they did all that under the direction of a wealthy uh, dialysis patient living out his days on a dialysis machine in a cave in Afghanistan. So that's a conspiracy. And, uh, you know, of course it could be true. The government says it's true, but when you begin to look at the facts and I, I get into this again in the preface, because for me, it was nine 11 that, that woke me up. Uh, sadly, it took six years before a, a dear friend began to expose me to some of the, the facts and scientific facts and realities and inconsistencies and so forth. Uh, I have a, I have many, many books on my shelf. I'm actually looking at them across from my computer right now, but I have one of them that has over 2,000 smoking gun evidences uh, that the official narrative of 9-11 is a lie. And in fact, six of the 10 9-11 commissioners that wrote the 9-11 commission report, which I have a copy of that, uh, six of the 10 of them now say that it was an inside job and not uh, truthful. So um, so yeah, we, we, it's funny how you said, we, you know, we don't talk much about this because it's still a lightning rod. I've been, I've done a ton of interviews, TV and radio since the spirit of the antichrist books came out. Uh, we did some before that as well, but not nearly as many. The Lord's just used this to open doors. And there've been multiple times, Maggie, when people have told me, Hey, we're delighted to have you on, but please don't mention nine 11. Uh, and, uh, I understand, you know, I get it that for some people, uh, the deception there is so strong, it has a stranglehold, and they just can't let themselves believe uh, that the government would do something like that. Um, but they need to understand it wasn't the government per se, it was the deep state within the government that's being controlled by the Luciferian elite. And uh, and when you kind of think of it in those terms, you go, oh, yeah, it, it makes sense. So uh, anyway, yeah, uh, continue. Uh, you're, you're right about 9-11. It's definitely an awakening point for many people. Well, one of the, the hard things for people to really grasp, and I understand this, it's very, very, very hard to understand that, that our political leaders could have led us to such a, a, a disastrous result that we find today. Uh, it's very hard to understand that perhaps these political leaders are answering to a different uh, a different source of, how should I say this? They're not answering to we the people, <laughs> the best way to phrase it. They are answering perhaps to the globalists, these bankers, the corporations and uh, international foundations that really get together as they have in Davos this past week. And they are the ones that are setting the tone they are the ones giving direction to the leaders of our countries, including the United States. And that is so very, very difficult for people to understand. It's hard for people to grasp. We really want to believe that we, the people, are in control of our country. We, are the, pe we the people, are in control of our country through our elections. Uh, and we've grown up with this. It's very hard to let go of that. It's very hard to understand what's really taking place, accept it, and then deal with it. Yeah, definitely. Say when we have been working with people in the last couple of years, that's the most difficult thing right there is to break through uh, all of the, the things that we've grown up with, the ideals that we've grown up with, uh, the way we believe our country works, we believe we're free. And in actuality, not much of that is true anymore. And that is horrible for people to really uh, understand, uh, grapple with. And then the next stage in that is, okay, if you get that, then what do you do? How do you respond to that? And that is, again, very, very difficult for many people. Yeah, it really is. I mean, there's a great uh, quote by uh, 
kind of a Eastern mystic, uh, certainly not a believer, but uh, I, I was trying to put my hands on it. It's in one of my books, the Spirit of the Antichrist books, but essentially it says that no one is more enslaved than the man who thinks he is free, but doesn't realize he's not. So uh, I think that's where a lot of people are, you know, they, uh, and by the way, I know that for some people listening, uh, this discussion of the Luciferian conspiracy, it might be uh, new, new information. You know, we're picking up new listeners all the time. People are sharing our podcast on social media, and we're getting more and more uh, uh, calls for interviews. I'm going to be doing four more interviews this week, uh, including one on Thursday with a radio station, a live interview out of San Diego. So um, just excited that God's opening the door because we do like to share the gospel and all that we do and help people prepare spiritually. But uh, if this is troubling to you, or you, you know, kind of are leaning towards thinking, man, this Hickson guy, and I don't know who this Maggie gal is, but they must be nutcases. Uh, just give us the benefit of the doubt. Don't take, don't just take our word for it. Study it for yourself. I know in my two-volume series, Spirit of the Antichrist, volume one has 38 pages of references at the back. Volume two has 66 pages of references. So there's over 100 pages of references, thousands of documented references for you to do your own research. Uh, and I would encourage you to check it out. By the way, if you haven't seen those books, they kind of outline the whole Luciferian conspiracy uh, from cradle to grave, so to speak, that just the whole process uh, and through the lens of Scripture. And it is eye-opening. So go to spiritoftheantichrist.org, spiritoftheantichrist.org, and you can read the table of contents and the preface for each book and learn more about them uh, right there. So uh, definitely on the same page here, Maggie, with all the the troubling things that are happening in this world where we have the appearance of freedom, uh, but it's really, uh, there's a puppet master kind of pulling the strings. Uh, let's uh, let's shift gears into some of the things that you're doing on the front lines here to help people, at least in Colorado, uh, fight back. Because it's not that we can just throw up our hands and say, woe is me, the sky is falling, let's head for the hills. Um, which, by the way, if the sky is falling, I don't know why you would head for the hills. It seems like you'd head for the caves. But anyway, uh, uh, we're not suggesting that at all. God has us here for a reason. The church has a purpose in God's plan of the ages. We are to proclaim truth. We're to share the gospel. We're to make a difference. And we are to fight to our dying day against Satan and his earthly accomplices and all that they're trying to do to, to take over uh, control of the world, to, to break the bonds and the cords, as David tells us in Psalm 2, uh, that uh, of control that God has over them. So uh, there are a lot of things that we can and should be doing, and uh, let's talk about some of those. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Albert County Stands Up. Maybe we should just start there. And um, our group came into existence actually in August of 2020. And all of us throughout the country were watching our country go through an experience that we had never seen before in our country, an emergency, uh, an emergency authorization that resulted in the closure of churches, the closure of schools, the closures of our businesses. And as a result of that, many groups around the country, small groups and large groups popped up all over the country saying, wait a minute, this is in opposition to our constitution. We should not be doing this regardless of whatever virus they may say is taking place, whatever disease may be taking place, we really cannot trample on our constitution. So groups like Albert County Stands Up formed all over the country. And I wanna make that clear, we're just one of many groups that popped up. We actually modeled ourselves after a group in Larimer County, Keep Colorado Free and Open. We actually modeled ourselves after a group in Michigan called Michigan Stands Up. So this started a groundswell of response from we the people. We held our first program, it was a private program actually in August of 2020. And we had a speaker come and talk to us about why the PCR test was not a reliable diagnostic tool for the coronavirus. 
<laughs> wow. That was August yeah. of 2020. Yeah, you know, Maggie, way back before I even wrote the books, when I was doing a series called Spirit of the Antichrist, that is now an 18-video, 14-hour DVD and streaming series that we have, I actually talked about that very thing, about how unreliable the PCR tests are. And it was so validating because, because eventually, after many, many months, even the CDC came back and and said they're not they cannot just these tests cannot distinguish between the routine flu and covid and they required all uh, agencies and medical practices to stop using them and i actually showed that uh you know decree from the cdc on the cdc's website but um so it's fascinating that you know so many truth groups like yours and others uh the ones you mentioned and uh i think it was michigan are are out front on some of this stuff and we're not here to say see i told you so we're just out here to say look do the research look at the facts of the matter and rather than believing everything you say uh everything the government says uh i want to go back real quick before you continue to the emergency declaration you know that that started all of this uh and by the way who was it that made that emergency declaration I think it that was, was someone, uh, President, I think his name was Donald Trump. I think it was too, on Friday the 13th, no less, of Yes, uh, uh, of yes, isn't that interesting? Yeah, in April uh, of 2020. And the reason I mention that is because it's still in place. And it is the same declaration that has allowed Biden to issue these summary sort of, you know, with the imperious wave of a hand declarations that continue to overstep our rights. Everything goes back to that emergency declaration. And some people, you know, as you were kind of describing the genesis of Elbert County Stands Up and some of these other truth movements at the beginning of the pandemic, and you were saying, hey, we believe the Constitution and our gives us rights that should not be uh, trampled, no matter what the disease or the virus. I think you said something along those lines. I want to re reiterate that again, because the Constitution is absolute. In the same way that the word of God is the absolute truth for believers and really for all the world as God's self-revelation to mankind, and we can't go to the Bible and change certain aspects of it when circumstances dictate, it's absolute. That's the way the founders set up the constitution of this country. It is sacrosanct. It's not whimsical and cannot be changed, even though many presidents uh, through the years have have thumbed their nose at it and changed it, citing certain emergencies. Oh, we've got an emergency, so the Constitution doesn't count. I mean, Abraham Lincoln, for example, was one who did that. So, but just think about the implications of that. If we go down that road and we say, well, the Constitution gives us certain rights and liberties, but there's a little asterisk there, and those can be suspended anytime someone in power says, they need it to. Well, just just think about how dangerous that is. That turns the Constitution completely on its head and makes it exactly the opposite of what our founders wanted it to be. We wanted something that would create checks and balances and keep dictatorial and tyrannical leaders from exerting power over the citizenry. And so, uh, people who think that you know somehow when circumstances dictate you can suspend the Constitution really need to think philosophically about that premise. It is dangerous. It is wrong, and there are no circumstances under which the government should tell churches they can't worship God on Easter Sunday. There are no circumstances under which the government can should say you cannot leave your house. You must stay locked down, or you must you know what you have to wear and what you can say and those types of things so your speech so uh anyway uh, yeah fascinating uh how so many groups kind of were born and awakened out of this latest uh tyrannical move in the in the totalitarian tiptoe that the uh the luciferians are marching toward the end game yes and we proceeded from that august meeting to do a december our first public meeting where we invited the whole universe, if you will, to come was on December 13th, 2020. And basically we talked about the coronavirus and we call it an operation because we didn't see it as a serious pandemic. We called it a scamdemic, we called it a plandemic. And you'll, you'll recall all those words that we were using back then. But that was our first program on December 13th. And I want to point out that on January 3rd of 2021, 
we had a program where we talked about the coming injections, the coming quote unquote Corona vaccine. And we said at that point, we had three videos that we, <laughs> we asked our people to watch. And I, it was a, about, I don't recall, it was the three long videos. They all sat there wonderfully listening to three experts in January of 2021 who said, do not take those injections. Do not take those injections. And again, please don't do that. And so that's where we got our start. And then we began to do other programs throughout the 2021 and 2022. We've also done a self-reliance expo last year in the summer. So we've done a variety of things since then, um, basically to help people learn and understand what's going on. That's number one, because unless they, they must understand, they must learn, before they can then take action to resist what's going on or to fight back against what's going on. You can't fight back unless you know who your enemy is. That's great. Yeah, very well said. And, and you know, you, the doctors that you were talking about back in early 21 would be people like uh, Lee Merritt, uh, Catherine Austin Fitz. She's not a medical doctor, but certainly was plugged in early on to the dangers of the uh, gene altering bio injection uh, and uh, Simone Gold and others. And it's so interesting how many way back then, again, you're talking early 21 before uh, the injections were really, you know, widespread or even rolled out. Uh, in the beginning stages of, uh, you know, warp speed, where uh, these big pharmaceutical companies got trillions upon trillions of dollars uh, to roll out these injections. Even way back then, the experts, not the government paid experts, not the Luciferians, but the objective experts across the world. And in our book, chapter nine of Spirit of the Antichrist, volume one is over 50 pages of documentation explaining this uh, control of virus scandemic, as we call it. Um, but even back then, they were warning against the dangers of these injections and the fact that before too long, we're going to start to see people dropping like flies. Now, fast forward two years, and what do we see? We see even the mainstream media acknowledging the exponential, statistically off-the-charts rise in things like myocarditis. The CDC and the FDA on their uh, VAERS website that they run is, are documenting, you know, uh, you know, a, an exponential amount. And I, I literally mean orders of magnitude higher than what the data that we have for decades. And all of a sudden it just spikes and otherwise healthy people are dropping dead. Now, uh, that's not to scare people. That's just a reality. And again, I'll, I'll, we can explain it to people, but we can't understand it for them. All we have to do is give them the facts. But uh, some people will say, well, I got the vaccine and I didn't have any problems, or I know people that got the vaccine and they didn't have any problems. Well, that's because they didn't get the, the corrupted batch. You know, there have been studies that have tied and correlated all of the VAERS data. And for those who don't know, VAERS is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System that the government put in place. It's run by the CDC and FDA jointly, in which people can report, doctors can report uh, reports of adverse effects after someone gets a vaccine. And the data is is really uh, very uh, stunning when you look at it. But they ran a study and correlated the VAERS data to which vaccine lot the people got. And all of the adverse effects are centralized around a small handful of lot numbers, manufacturing lot numbers. So not all of the vaccines have all of the same contaminants and, and dangerous uh, things in them. But there's no question that this was a, a Luciferian agenda. It was part of their depopulation agenda. And I, I just, I don't even really talk about it much anymore because it just, it's so self-evident, you know, people say, well, how come you really quit talking so much about the virus? Well, I don't talk about the sky being blue and the grass being green either. It seems like it's kind of self-evident. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. Uh, and, and for those who, who, who understand it, uh, you know, great. If you don't understand it by now, then you're probably never going to understand it. So uh, anyway, I hope I don't come across too harsh, Maggie, but I get really angry because people we know, have died because of the vaccine. People we love, and uh, and it just really infuriates me when people should know better, and they continue to buy the government uh, a line. So, anyway, yeah, just uh, continue on with some of the things that both Elbert County. By the way, how can folks find Elbert County stands up? What's your website? 
It's uh, albertcountystandsup.com. Stand singular, not stands, but stand. Stands. Yeah. Elbert County stand. Oh, plural stands. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. This is the, the wonders of technology. Sometimes it's hard <laughs> to, to hear. Plus I'm deaf. I, I hard of hearing in both ears and wear hearing aids, but Elbert County stands, stands up. up. Dot com. Dot com. Yeah. Correct. Correct. I, yes. I, I think that, um, you know, we have been like, again, many groups, I don't want to, you know, there are so many groups like ours, and we have worked hard for, let's say, two years to let people know what is taking place in their world. Uh, not only are we talking about the coronavirus operation, we're talking about the mind control, we're talking about psychological operation that we're facing. Uh, I mean, the topics are almost endless. And you and I, JB, could go on. Uh, we could keep people here on this podcast for eight long hours if, 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 yeah. if listen. But I think one of the things at this point in time is that we really do need to work from where we are right now with the people that are awake right now. And we really need to get to work to stop some of this. And I think even learning about it is, is great, but we need to move to kind of the, to the next level where we get people actively involved in resistance. We can't just sit back and just say, you know, somebody else will take care of this, or my neighbor will take care of this, or the, the local politician will take care of this, or my national leader will take care of this, because they're not going to. It's going to be we the people. We the people are the answer. And as, and I don't know where this phrase comes from, but we are the ones we are looking for. <laughs> and I think we have heard that one more than once. But unless we, the people, begin to understand that we are the answer and that we have to take action, um, then the slide into the abyss of slavery and tyranny may continue. So it's not enough to be awake. It's not enough no. to be alert. You got to be active awake, alert, and active. And so, uh, you know, what are some of the things that uh, you guys recommend uh, doing both personally for preparedness and also to try to stem the tide a little bit as we wait for the Lord's return in our local governments? Well, I, one of the things that we've been doing uh, is everything is local. And you need to work with your local governments, your governments in your small towns and your small cities, uh, larger cities, if you live in a larger city area, you need to work with those officials directly. In our case, we work a lot with our county commissioners. And you need to continue to provide them with information. Uh, you need to go in and talk to them. You need to help them to understand what's going on. And you will meet with different re responses. Some will be very responsive and be willing to listen. Some will not. But don't let that stop you. Continue that process. And also continue the process of getting like-minded people in office throughout your, uh, again, I'm going to use our county as an example. We need you need good people on your school board. You need good people in your county commissioners. You need good people on your city councils, your planning commissions. Wherever it is, try to get like-minded people to take those positions and get to work in their communities. That's number one. So you and I have talked about this a lot, but um, are is every single election at every single level in this country rigged? Because I would say no. Would so it, I would agree. I would say that you know national elections, uh, state elections, at for like say the governor, and perhaps uh, some other positions are probably not affected too much by our voting process. But where the voting process is important is at our local level. 
Amen. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So check out and see, make sure that, you know, your vote actually counts, that they're not using digital vote tabulation machines, that they have a chain of custody of the votes and that it's not just a pretend vote. That's the problem. Most people uh, don't recognize pretend voting. And we do a lot of pretend voting in this country. But when you're doing actual voting that really counts, it can make a difference for all the reasons you just articulated. So that's number one. And if we don't, if we don't become engaged with the processes in our communities, and we don't really begin to stand up for freedom, resist what's going on, let me let me share with you a quote by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who wrote the Gulag Archipelago. And I'm gonna, this is the end of the quote. And he said, We didn't love freedom enough. And even more. We had no awareness of the real situation. We surely and simply deserved everything that happened afterward. And I think that's so applicable for today. If we really want to take our freedom back and we do have to take it back, we don't have it. We have, we're going to have to take it back. We're going to have to work for it. It's not gonna be served up to us again by any of our national and state politicians, it's going to be those of us, we the people, we're the ones that are gonna to have to stand up and take our freedom back. Amen, yeah, I love that quote. It is, I mean, that's the one that kind of uh, jumps at me. I, I read that frequently because it reminds me on days when gosh, when we've all had enough of all this and we'd like to kind of sit down and uh, maybe do some other things. But if we do that, um, freedom will be something that our grandchildren will never see. Yeah, you, you don't know what you have until it's gone, right? That's the old you know, colloquial proverb, so to speak. And if, you, if people just take the time to slow down, take a breath, and reflect on the last three years, and we had to do this after 9-11 also 20 years ago, but just in the last three years, just think about how many things have changed, normal, routine things that ha have changed, and that's by design, and, and so people need to, uh, you know, to recognize that if the Lord tarries is coming, uh, there are things we can do uh, in terms of fighting the good fight, fighting the battle. Um, but, uh, you know, there are also things that we can and should do personally uh, in our own personal family preparedness that, you know, you keep us uh, ready and on guard for any number of scenarios. Because, look, let's face it, um, you know, uh, we're going to, I just had a podcast uh, yesterday with, uh, with Randy, our weekly conversation with Randy, in which he kind of gave us some very serious updates about the Russia-Ukraine war and the way Russia is mobilizing and preparing and threatening NATO. At any moment, we could be in a sort of end of the world as we know it scenario. And when that happens, you're not going to be able to hop in the car and run down to Walmart and, uh, and buy supplies. So, um, uh, what what do you what do you have in your arsenal there in in the way of tips uh, for people and preparedness? In terms of preparedness, uh, I would say prepare at the local level. Uh, we are again. We did a self reliance expo uh, last August. We are going to do another one coming up in August eight. August 8th, April 8th, uh, focused on food and gardening sustainability. Uh, we really need to work at the local level. And this comes at, um, in terms of learning how to build or systems that are parallel, what we call parallel economies. Yes. Uh, where we are, we are, thinking about homeschooling, which is a parallel system to the public school system, where we're thinking about growing our own food and sustaining ourselves with livestock uh, and so on, which is a parallel system to going to your store and getting food. Or medicine. Or looking at ways to create a, a separate alternative medical uh, system and 
again, we have people in our state that are doing that. We need to be doing this at our local level. There are all kinds of groups that are forming, the, again, the medical, the educational, uh, the food sustainability is the one that I think most people are interested in. This is where we find the most interest here in Elbert County. Yeah, and go back to that medical one for a minute. The reason I interjected that is you and I have talked about uh, these uh, PMA. What does that stand for? Private Medical Association? Uh, prof uh, professional Medical or Professional Membership Association. Professional Membership Association. And yes. so- it basically, it, we live in a day and age now where you can do a lot of the medical things yourself. I highly recommend people have on their bookshelves the books where there is no doctor and where there is no dentist. Um, and you can get stocked up on even antibiotics. Um, uh, Randy and I have recommended in our podcast uh, companies called Jace Medical, J-A-S-E, as well as Duration Health, where you can do a telemed appointment with a doctor, and they will then prescribe you uh, antibiotics that you can store on the shelf for two years uh, and have them available, a whole variety, a whole uh, you know different group of antibiotics, just like you would get at your local pharmacy, and the same little pills with the with the uh, label on them and and the instructions and so forth. So people need to. I like what you said. The parallel societies. We need to think in terms of what if life as we know it wasn't continuing to function that way. Could I still get water? Could I still get food? Could, would I still have protection? Would I still be warm? Would I still have medicines? Um, yes. Would I still have power and energy? Uh, you know. So, what are some you know alternatives for that? So, we have uh, a document that we've given literally hundreds of out over the last uh, well several years, but even in the last year, we've given hundreds out, um, which is a just a document we put together. It's nothing particularly profound. There are probably lots of much more detailed and exhaustive uh, books and articles about preparedness out there, but it's very personal to us because it's what we've spent years as a family putting together in terms of different scenarios, different supplies, different food, books, uh, even means of exchange, all kinds of aspects. It's a 12-page document, and uh, we make it available for anyone. Just email us at notbyworks.org, uh, go to our website, and we'll be glad to, to send, send you that. And in fact, while we've been talking, uh, we've gotten two requests for that, and I hadn't even mentioned it until now. So it's just it's out there on a lot of our podcasts, and uh, we would like to make that available uh, to folks that uh, request it. And it's just free. It's just a simple document that we send you a PDF. But uh, we're about out of time. I know we, we've got so much we could talk about, uh, but uh, go ahead and give us some more of your uh, thoughts of things that you think are urgent or relevant for this whole concept of being awake and alert, but also active. Uh, yes, and first of all, I want to correct myself here, not professional membership association, but private membership association. So Okay, PMA, private membership association. Yeah. Private membership association, it's a mechanism that operates a little bit different legally uh, and provides you with a lot more privacy. Uh, a lot of health organizations uh, use this kind of a, a legal tool, legal framework to operate, uh, and it keeps the government entities at bay a little bit more than an LLC or something else would. But in terms of parallel economies, one of the, the ones that we're going to have to watch very carefully, and you've talked about this before, the central bank digital currencies. Yes. This is another uh, digital type of system, along with all the digital surveillance and the digital IDs and digital passports and so on that's a real threat to uh, all of us today. And we really need to understand the central bank digital currencies. And I know you'll talk maybe a little bit about the two, um, I think you have two videos that you have up on your site right now about that. But in terms of parallel economies, we need to look at local currencies. We won't go into the details of that, but there are systems of uh, cities and jurisdictions using their own currency, barter systems. That's another way that we're going to be able to be out of the, the system, the establishment system, if you will. So uh, 
we need to look at ways that we can push back. And I wanna just share a few of those if we've got a little bit of time left. You bet, yeah. Okay. First of all, I wanna encourage people to use cash. We need to push back and resist any type of system that's digital. Use cash, use it every day. Avoid using your debit card, avoid using your credit card. Avoid using a QR code, anything with a QR code. Um, and this is something that we also want to talk about more is use a local bank. Don't use one of the great big banks like Wells Fargo or Citibank. Go to a small local bank that has your interests more aligned with yours. Don't do any business with the, the bigger banks who are aligned with the globalists. We are just feeding them and sustaining them when we do that. And we really don't want to do that. Yeah, let me let me interject on the local banks. Sure. That's really important. Uh, just this week, and I think Randy and I talked about this. If it wasn't yesterday, it was uh, it was in, a, in our previous podcast. But uh, just recently, big banks in Colorado, several of them were putting restrictions on uh, how much money their customers could get out. Uh, I saw an article yesterday, I think it was on foxnews.com, about how Bank of America in New York City and Manhattan was now making their ATMs no longer 24-7. You know, used to you could go up any time of day and get your money out of a machine. Now uh, they're saying you can't do that uh, 24 hours a day. They kind of turn them off at a certain hour. Now, ostensibly, they're saying they're doing that for safety because, you know, people get mugged late at night when they're using an ATM. Well, first of all, if you're going to the ATM in New York City at 1 a.m. in the morning, you deserve to get mugged, I think. <laughs> but uh, still, that, I mean, this is another example of the nanny state and Big Brother saying, hey, for your own good, we're going to limit your access to your own money. Well, uh, look, I, there might be a reason I need to get money out of an ATM at two o'clock in the morning, and it's my money. And if I want to do it, I should be able to do it. And um, so, yeah, you, they always give you a fake reason why, why they are restricting your rights. And uh, you're right, I did do have two uh, recent videos up there uh, on our website at notbyworks.org. Just click on the videos tab uh, about CBDCs. And the most recent one, uh, I, I talk about this this idea of th that the uh, secure the technical security world uh, or online security, digital security world has called zero trust. And this is what has caused you to have to use, um, uh, you know, one-time password or uh, multiple-step security to get logged into all of your websites. And they everybody thinks that's for their own good. Oh, we're helping you protect your identity. No, 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 not at all. They are setting the stage for you to not be trusted yourself. Right now, they're saying, hey, we got to make sure it's really you for your own good. But once they roll those systems out, uh, with the multi-level check, you know, login processes, then they'll be able to say down the road, you know, you've got to prove that you didn't overextend your carbon credits. You've got to prove that you didn't use any hate speech on social media. You know, your social credit score might be too low and they can lock you out. So when they say zero trust, that means you, you can't, we can't even trust you to give you access to your information, your money, and everything that belongs legally and rightfully to you. So, um, yeah, I mean, this idea of learning to barter right now with cash uh, rather than, you know, Venmo or the Cash App or PayPal, uh, this concept of value for value, you know, uh, hey, will you shovel my drive? I've had to pay a local uh, young man uh, three times recently, we've gotten hammered with snow. We've got a foot on the ground out there right now. It just won't melt. Uh, but my plow wouldn't start the other day. So then I had my backup, which was my snowblower, even though it was really too much to handle with a snowblower, but it wouldn't start either. So I was left with having to you know, find someone to help me. And I paid him three different times cash to come help me out. Now, when cash goes away, then you can do value for your value. You can say, hey, if you'll shovel my drive, I'll help repair your tractor. Or if you'll shovel my drive, you know, I'll help clean your gutters or, you know, whatever it is. So uh, there are a lot of things that we can do in these parallel economies that make the government control grid, you know, irrelevant. Well, let's go back to cash for a minute. 
you know, we're beginning to run into some uh, organizations and businesses who say, well, we won't accept cash. Well, then we won't shop with your business. And so we have to boycott businesses that are refusing cash. Now let's talk about the sort of like the other side of that. Let's take a more positive front end approach to that. Go into your local businesses and say, you know, we really encourage you to do your business in cash. Uh, and in fact, explain to them that if they do a lot of their business in cash, they're going to save money on those credit card fees that they are paying. Yeah. And ask them to, to calculate if most of their business is done in cash and they're not taking these debit cards and credit cards and paying two to 3%, how much money are they going to save in a year? Yeah. It's going to be substantial. It's yeah. going to be incentive for them. So that's one of the things that we can do. Let's go in, in teams and go visit our local businesses and say, hey, this is why you should do a lot of your business in cash and we'll help you get the word out about what you're doing and you're going to benefit as well. Yeah, we'll promote you on our websites and on our exactly. to our constituents and so forth. But now I want to interject here because this is where sometimes uh, listeners and our audience and and, and other uh, truth loving people uh, tend to kind of get lost in the nuance of it. So, you know, we're not suggesting that this is an all or nothing black or white thing. I wish it were. But the reality is, in this world in which we live, there are some situations where you simply aren't going to be able to use cash. You can't pay your mortgage, for example, with cash. You can't walk into your local car dealer and, and show up with $40,000 in cash and suitcases. They're going to call the FBI immediately. So just the world in which we live makes it less than ideal, but as much as is possible. I know for Not By Works Ministries, you know, we still use a lot of digital technology because our passion is getting the gospel out. And so we we do things like using social media. We just started that in, Janu in January 1st. And I don't like it. I wish we could just wiggle our nose and make it all go away. I think it's a tool, but we can take some of the devil's tools and use them uh, to advance the grace message. Um, we take credit cards in our online store just because it's more effective and, and efficient in getting the message out. I mean, we could have people mail us a check and then we could turn around and mail them a package and it, it would take a week or two for them to get the books. But we believe the time is short and time is now and we want to get the message out. So there are some circumstances where, uh, and by the way, you mentioned QR codes. We have a gospel track that has a QR code on it. You click the QR code, it takes you to a five-minute video that shares the gospel. So it, you have to have some nuance there. It's not a zero you know, sum game, but as much as is possible, even if it inconveniences you, don't play into their hands. Use cash. Thank you for the clarification. I yeah. sort of accept that as a given so I appreciate your uh, explaining that and clarifying, putting some clarification to that. Sure. Really helpful. Uh, one other thing, I think um, no matter where you live, if you're living in a big city or if you're living in a, in a county rural area as we are, begin to establish relationships with your local farmers. Go out there. You know, there are farm stands all over the place, whether again, you're outside a larger city, uh, in a rural county, go and establish relationships with these people right now. Uh, we have uh, people in our county that provide us, local farmers who provide us with beef, provide us with pork, provide us with produce. We know these people. Uh, we know that we're going to have to help these people. Uh, there is one gentleman right now who uh, produces pork. And he's having a difficult time because of the increased costs. But we want him to continue to provide us with his pork products. And that means that we're going to have to help him. So these are the kinds of things that we begin to do. We know him. We've established a relationship with him. He's in trouble. We're going to help him because what he does benefits all of us. Yeah, it goes back to what you said with... With your expo uh, that you have another one coming up, you call them Self-Reliance Expo. I love that title because 
what we need are people that can do things themselves. You know, think back to the pioneer days, you know, when when families, you know, like you see on, uh, you know, Little House on the Prairie were moving west um, or the Ralph Moody books, which we love to read to our kids uh, when they were moving from the East Coast out to the pioneer lands. You know, they got together as communities. They helped each other till the land, plant the crops and, and, and harvest the crops. And they worked together when there was a problems. They were self reliant. And so you want to teach your kids to skin a buck, run a trot line, be able to grow food, be able to fend for themselves. And most of our people have become very quickly, by the way, in the grand scheme of things, if you look at 6,000 years of human history, it's only really been the last 100 years that we've become just these lazy takers rather than actual doers. Um, But, uh, you know, learn how to do those types of things. And by the way, it's easier now than ever to teach yourself. You can literally, I mean, do just about anything by watching a YouTube video. I mean, video. I, I could probably perform open heart surgery if I had to by just watching a YouTube video, Maggie. Uh, so <laughs> I'm exaggerating, obviously. But uh, yeah, that that's a great point about the, the, the idea of community. So, Well, what happens with this Luciferian system that we're fighting against and resisting is that it has advanced because we have allowed it to. And we have to stop allowing it to, and we have to face it squarely. And we have to understand the evil that we face and meet it with, meet it with our faith in God. Um, can't see it in the podcast here, but the logo of Albert County Stands Up has a cross. It's a shield with a cross. And one of our volunteers put this together for us very early on. And um, as we've moved forward, it has taken on greater meaning every day. So we appreciate what you're doing. We appreciate uh, Dr. Hickson having you in our backyard. <laughs> Blessed having you as a friend and a neighbor. Well, thank you, Maggie. I mean, it is, uh, it's the feeling is mutual and I'm so glad the Lord allowed our paths to cross. I do want to encourage everybody to go to albertcountystandsup.com. It's a great resource, even if you don't live in Colorado. Uh, I'm sure they can reach out to you there. Is there a contact us button or something if they want to get a hold of you? Yes. Yeah, yeah, so feel free to reach out to Maggie. She loves to talk about these types of things and uh, and uh, and reach out to us as well at uh, notbyworks.org. So I can already tell we're going to have to have you on again because uh, the time just flies by and uh, you've got a lot of insightful uh, information and wisdom uh, that uh, I want to share with our listeners. So uh, we'll, we'll have to reach out again and pick another time to do a follow-up. But in the meantime, I want to encourage folks again uh, to check out Elbert County Stands Up. Uh, check out our website, notbyworks.org. Don't forget we're live streaming tonight at six o'clock from Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia, Colorado. And I'll be uh, talking about the greatness of God. And then uh, until then, though, we want to uh, wish you all a great rest of the week and uh, continue to stay awake, alert. But not only that, as Maggie said, the last thing is Uh, stay active, do what you can uh, in these uh, great last days of deception. Thanks for being with us, Maggie. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. And everybody get engaged, resist. This is what God expects of us. It's our duty. Thanks so much. Amen. I couldn't agree more. God bless Maggie. And we'll talk again soon.